and welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg. And today's episode, we're going to look at the new ways young Americans are approaching life. Everything from living in tiny homes to giving up lucrative careers for the life of a nomad. So we're going to dissect what van life really is and what it means for the housing market, as well as how this plays into the need for a college degree. Finally, we're going to look at the impacts to families, both in marriage and kids. And we have a wonderful guest to break it all down, Franklin Lee joins us. Franklin is a senior associate for criminal justice and civil liberties, the team there at R Street Institute. He has published two books, an Amazon bestseller, The Art of Napping, and his recent book, which we're going to discuss, called From Harvard to Homeless, Journeys of a Millennial Nomad. Franklin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And I want to start with your new book called From Harvard to Homeless, because this is a book about you. You did graduate from Harvard and you decided for a time to live what is known as van life. Give us a little insight into why you made this transition and why you wrote the book about it. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for your question. So um, I did graduate from Harvard in 2015. Um, right after uh, my bachelor's degree, I went to Georgetown for graduate school for two years. And then I moved to New York City to start my full-time job. Um, the reason why I decided to pursue van life, there were many different factors, but the main reason, which might not be surprising, is uh, the high rent prices uh, in New York City. I was looking, I was seeking for a, a creative way to uh, not pay rent. And one of the options that was ahead of me at that time was to live inside a van. And so how long did you do this? And how much did you save on rent by buying a van and living out of it? And where did you park the van? Where does one do that? All great questions. Um, I Well, let's first start off with uh, how long I, I pursued van life. I pursued uh, van life for a year. So all through all four seasons, I did, I did not spend the entire time in New York City. I spent about half in New York. And then I spent around the other half in D.C., um, I probably, considering the fact that I paid about $1,000, a little more in rent in New York City every month, I probably saved around $12,000 that year. Um, I uh, think that uh, I'm not sure if I can disclose where it is um, it, within the podcast, but I will say that I, I had a really, really uh, great location in New York City. I do tell my friends personally where they are, where it is. Um, and it was great because it was only a 10 minute, five to 10 minute walk to work while I was living there. And so this is not just something that you have done, but this is a trend, which is why you've written about it in your book. And it's not just van life. There's also tiny home communities. So even the area I live in, which is in Greenville, South Carolina, there is a location of tiny homes. And uh, there even you can go online and you can purchase like cabins and small places to build wherever you would like. This seems to be a trend in your research about it. Why has this become a trend? Oh, um, yeah, I think um, in the recent years, it's, it's, become, it's become more and more so. You'll see that it's, it's becoming more and more prominent. And um, this was especially exacerbated when the pandemic, uh, dur during our, our time during the pandemic. And um, I, I think it's to no surprise that I think a big part of that is because people are looking to uh, find affordable housing. Um, people are looking for creative ways to uh, fight against inflation, to find ways to... Um, seek out more efficient ways to live considering that inflation has been rising at a much faster pace than our wages. And I was looking into some of the, the data on tiny homes. So the average 
size of a tiny home is anywhere from 100 to 400 square feet. Now, the the cost of them, I think, are roughly around, they can range everywhere from $8,000 up to $60,000. But the thing that I thought was interesting is per square foot, it does cost more to buy a tiny home per square foot than it does a normal house. So it's $300 per square foot for a tiny home compared to $150 per square foot for a traditional home. But of course, people are saving a lot on that. There's not much not much square footage. Is this just something that single people want to do, whether it's a tiny home or van life, or do you even see families going to this? Oh, uh, there, there's so much to cover in that question. Um, first, I want to start off with uh, the fact that I, I I can't speak for everyone, but I, from from my perspective, I did not see van life as my ideal. I, I know that in Instagram, you see these wonderful photos, these picturesque photos of, of what van life is. And I did not start with, with that in mind. And so I, I think that for cost efficiency, cost efficiency, we actually would prefer to live inside a, in a, an apartment or, or larger living quarters. But the reality is that when you look at your budget and how you distribute your budget, your uh, monthly salary into uh, how much you spend on your living uh, living quarters. Uh, it just it's just very difficult to make ends meet with the uh, the monthly rent right now. And so um, a lot of people, who, uh, I think th- the data shows that people who live in larger families actually can actually uh, make their living spaces. Uh, it can be more efficient to live together with somebody, but because people are, are uh, more fragmented and people, a lot of people are living the single life and they want to work within their budgets, they are looking into these uh, creative creative home uh, of alternative housing options. And it does seem something that's just, uh, I didn't know if it was just a trend, if it was something that was catching on, because I find during the era of the pandemic, you really saw kind of do two different ways people went. One was to go this mo- Uh, more minimalist type of lifestyle. And then other people who were looking for bigger homes just because they had to work out of their home. And so it's really, I think, upended the housing market in so many ways and also so many people moving. Has there been such a desire for the van life or for tiny homes, um, even if that desire is just purely from an economic matter or from that perspective, that it really has disrupted the housing market quite a bit? Oh, uh, that's a great question. I, I think it's hard to say. Um, I, the van life has obviously been exploding, but I don't know if it's quite. In, I'm not a housing expert, so it's it's hard to say exactly if that's disrupted the market thus far. But I definitely uh, have. I think that there is the potential to. Um, as you mentioned that, as you mentioned, it's been interesting with the pandemic how it uh, kind of had this very interesting effect in which people, people who um, some people went into larger homes and some people pursued van life. At the end of the day, I think people are looking for um, like interesting, creative ways to uh, kind of. Uh, kind of resolve the challenges that a modern uh, modern young professionals are are facing. What would you say in your experience were the positives of living out of a van and some of the negatives? So if somebody is considering this and they say, look, it is too costly in the city I live in, maybe a van is the way to go. What did you learn along the way? Oh, yeah. Uh, So I would say that the pro of van life is the ability to live wherever you want. 
um, as long as you can find a parking space where nobody will, will bother you. Oftentimes, Walmart parking lots are a great place to start. Um, and just the ability to just walk out the door into nature or just, or just have a, a, a breath of fresh air um, right as you wake up, it's, it's just incredible. Um, I would say uh, there are surprisingly a lot of cons, uh, but not to dissuade any uh, prospective van livers, but there, there are lots of things that you should consider before starting. Um, one is the fact that um, because you are living in a smaller space, it is much, it, it is, uh, you do have to think about the, the logistics of how to, where to put the bed, where, where you want to spend your time um, throughout the day, uh, depending on if you're living in a if you're during the summertime or if you're if, uh, considering the different temperatures uh, throughout the year. Um, there are lots of logistics to consider before starting, but the uh, freedom that you gain, I think, could be worth it for, for a lot of young professionals who oftentimes have to consider the fact that in order to progress their careers, they might have to move from city to city. And there's also this other side, which is people may want to choose this just so that they can be on the road, see the country, since so many people do have careers that allow you to work remotely. So has remote work opened up this opportunity even more? Yes, I believe that remote work has, has definitely increased um, the ability to to pursue van life. I, I will say that one challenge that I faced uh, while pursuing van life is that uh, access to Wi-Fi is very, very important for remote work. So I have been looking into... Um, uh, I have uh, been very interested in Starlink and other forms of space-based uh, internet access uh, over time. And I do notice, too, this seems to be coinciding, this popularity. At the same time, the cost for college just continues to increase. And, of course, there's been a lot of debate. We've talked about this topic here on the podcast, just about student loan debt and whether or not that should the government should be involved in, in paying that off. How does this correlate with people maybe rejecting this idea of needing a degree, that maybe a degree isn't needed if your housing expenses, your living expenses aren't as high as what they used to be if you decide to downsize in this way? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, there's a lot of pressure. I, I've, I've had this question uh, from, from my friends and I, I, be, having graduated from Harvard. And unfortunately, I think... Um, my general answer is that if you look at the research from the Pew Research Center, a college degree does, in fact, uh, help your ability to uh, get a job and have a higher annual salary, um, although it does depend on the major you choose. Um, that said, it, it is definitely true. You do definitely see that the tuition prices have been inflating um, at a much faster pace than, than wages have. And sometimes, uh, you know, students are not prepared to make the decision to get such a large sump of student loans. Uh, in, and invest in their, and invest that much to possibly get a job. Also considering the fact that a college degree more and more so does not guarantee a job, the competition is becoming fiercer and fiercer over the year, uh, every year. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's hard for me to say that a college degree is not worth it, but I think it's becoming less and less worth it for more people. And so we are seeing more people who are considering alternatives. And for me, I think uh, my college degree and my graduate degree was definitely worth the money, but I, I can't discount the fact that, uh, you know, at the end of it, I was under $100,000 in student loans, and I am currently in the process of paying that off. And it, in that process, I have had to be very creative about how to budget, uh, budget my housing, among other things. And 
I wonder for you, or, or maybe this is a trend that you've seen as well, if, if this is overall for millennials, you're a millennial, think about younger generation, is this a move to less focus on material goods? Is there a minimalist perspective that is definitely uh, something that's gaining traction, something that people are drawn to? Is that, is that part of this, is that people want less things? Yes, definitely. Especially in the beginning, I would say, especially when I first started van life, I, I pursued van life between um, 20, uh, 2019, 2020, 2021. Um, and it, definitely a big appeal to a lot of my peers and acquaintances were, was that I, like, they were interested in this lifestyle where I would have less things and I would I, I would build up more experiences. But I would say that uh, general, uh, the trend that I'm seeing now is not about really being minimal minimal or having less things per se, but uh, more about being more intentional about how you're spending your money and how you're spending your time. I think uh, oftentimes we often think minimal, uh, a lot of our society thinks minimalism in terms of an aesthetic, but I think more and more people are looking at it more practically um, for, for a lot of young folks. And of course, a natural thing that people ask is, well, what happens when you think about marriage and kids? Is this just something that single people do when they're young and then they get the white picket fence in the larger house once they get married? Oh, um, you know, I, I think it's, uh, I don't have the exact data with me, but I don't think so, actually. I think more and more families and um Families are considering um, alternative housing options, uh, especially considering that uh, dual incomes or even people with dual earners in their households are struggling to pay rent in a lot of cases. And so uh, surprisingly, a lot of people who are couples who have kids have actually asked about like if there might be a way to consider alternative housing and, and at least know it as an op like possibly see it as an option for their future. And I want to talk a little bit about your book more. Who was this book for? And if somebody is interested in learning more about it, is this the type of book that would give them the tools to do it? Yeah, um, this book is uh, mainly for people who want to engage in a conversation about uh, finding ways for to for uh, to create more um, alternative housing options for uh, in, in our nation. Um, as, as mentioned, I work for our, our Street Institute and our policy work is based on the principle of free markets, real solutions. Um, you know, it, the book really does try to cover about uh, different ways we can deregulate and, and make easier to create other housing options for, for the wider public. And uh, in doing so, more and more people will be able to um, able to navigate through the challenges that a lot of young professionals are facing today. And so I want to get into the regulation just a little bit. Where is the regulation on this type of living arrangement? Are there regulations that do prevent people in certain cities, certain counties, certain states? Absolutely. One reason why I pursue van life in the East Coast is that um, in, it, it, it's much more uh, it's much more common and popular in the West Coast where I'm from in Southern California for obvious uh, for, because uh, the temperature permits it it makes it a lot easier to uh, live inside your car there um, and that has turned into that has both been a blessing and a curse a lot of um, local regulations have noticed that there there were a lot of people living inside their cars and therefore they have tried to limit uh, tried to regulate them by changing street parking hours um, try, try to uh, monitor people who are living inside their cars in a way where it discourages them and so um, I've been very interested in uh, 
South, uh, there's a nonprofit in Southern California called Safe Parking, LA, San Diego, et cetera. There, there are safe parking lots in Southern California uh, where it's a nonprofit where they provide security for uh, security settings for people who live inside their cars within designated parking areas. And I believe that, uh, I, I think that there's a lot of potential in sort of expanding that throughout the country and letting the free market sort of take its reign there. And just final question for you. You mentioned the free market. Obviously, people in this country have the choice to decide how they want to spend their money on their housing arrangements. Do you think that this is a trend that just ends or are you seeing this really gaining traction over time? Yeah, I, I think this is a this is definitely this definitely goes beyond just a trend. I think the housing market is um, we are continuously struggling. To, uh, a lot of people are struggling to make ends meet. Um, I, I think the the problem here oftentimes is that you know each generation, the preceding generation, the challenges are different. We, it's very difficult to lower our standards of living just because our previous generation has done so. Uh, but we also cannot live just the way that we had been uh, doing so before. And so finding, uh, I think that uh, the free market will uh, hopefully in kind of promoting free market principles in in the concept of alternative housing, uh, younger uh, younger sort of professionals will be able to figure out like innovative ways to uh, to live, to make a better future for everyone. Well, for those who are interested in learning more about your story and also to get some information if they have interest themselves in pursuing this type of living arrangement, they can go and buy your book. It's called From Harvard to Homeless Journeys of a Millennial Nomad. Franklin Lee with our Street Institute. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And thank you all for joining us. Before you go, IWF does want you to know that we, re- we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. And investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. So please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting iwf.org backslash donate. That's iwf.org backslash donate. Last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or review. It does help. And we'd love it if you shared this episode so your friends can know where they can find more She Thinks. From all all of us here at IWF. Thanks for watching.